Eric Paschal joins the show. And is Utah able to play small? Talking about that here on the podcast. You're listening to Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, which is presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz NMLS 3112 Equal Housing Lender. If you miss me Monday, it's because you're not subscribed to The Note, another podcast here on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network. I caught up with Lionel Hollins of the former head coach of the Memphis Grizzlies. Most recently, he was involved with the Lakers and LeBron James as an assistant coach there. But the note, it's more stories behind the scenes, stories that take you inside. Vivint Arena is what the blurb said when Aaron made the note a couple years ago. Shout out Aaron Falk, Salt Lake Tribune, subscribe. But I figured there was a feature that ran over the weekend about Rudy Gay and Mike Conley and their relationship and how they end up here. I figured it made a whole lot of sense with the Jazz taking on the Grizzlies that day, on Monday, I had to talk to the head coach that saw them come into the league, saw them become the players that they were, saw them reach the highest of highs. The Grizzlies have not achieved what Lionel Hollins has done as the head coach there since he did it. 2013, they go to the Western Conference Finals, and after that, they get rid of Lionel. Go with Dave Yeager. But they haven't reached that high since. And Rudy Gay was traded before they were able to make that run, but he was a part of the building blocks in that locker room that turned things into what they became out there in Memphis. Rudy Gay is drafted. His second year, he becomes a 20-point-per-game scorer, and then he has to learn how to win. So that's why I talked about Lionel. I, I want to learn what were those steps that taught them how to win. Rudy, like many players in this league, can score in bunches, has the tricks in his bag that can get him points. But how much does that lead to winning? Does that achieve the ultimate goal, which is to get this team deep into the playoffs? How do you learn that? How do you do that once you acquire Zach Randolph, Marcus All, Tony Allen? How do you fit in that ecosystem? And for Mike Conley, I found this to be the biggest takeaway when I went back to that time and started to read about Mike, how, where he was at that point of his career. Memphis didn't like him. They thought he was a bust. They didn't know what they had in him. Mark Ivoroni, his first coach, is losing confidence in him. And they were at a point of inflection where they also had Kyle Lowry. And they had to determine who are we going to go forward with. Ultimately, they choose Mike Conley, but he competed for the job. And he had to become the shooter that he became. Or, I mean, this year, he's shooting, what, 45% from three? He wasn't that when he started in the league. And I want to hear from Lionel on, on those type of topics because now that they've gone through so much and are finally achieving success, I wanted to see where it all started. So listen to the note. You can subscribe to it uh, everywhere you get podcasts. I just saw it went on Google Podcasts the other day. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. Check it out. The note I caught up with Lionel Hollins. And I've got some good ideas going forward. Since it's just us and you're a part of the family, I'm, I'm thankful for you. I'm working on 
Coach K's last year, his influence on Quinn Snyder, I look back at his rosters that he played on over at Duke, and he's got NBA general managers, he's got college coaches, he has the best college basketball analyst in the game, Jay Billis, Tommy Amaker, Danny Ferry, Billy King. He's got names that ultimately chose to stay in basketball, and that starts with Coach K. So look out for those stories, not as frequently as Round Ball Roundup, but taking you deeper into stories over at the note. Let's get to the basketball, and since I haven't had time to speak on it, 60 seconds on the barf, which if you don't want to listen to, fast forward 60 seconds, I'll be done. But I saw the jokes. They were pretty good. Puke Walton, Yak Town, Harrison Barf, Hurl Bailey, Donovan Mitchell. That's the only one that I have to offer. I didn't see anyone tweet that one out. Boyan Bogdanovomit, also another one. Is it too obvious? Potentially. Sometimes the things that are looking at you straight in the face, gotta acknowledge. And I want to offer empathy to this guy. Because we all had tough nights. How many people have the Cal Ripken, no vomit streak? Nobody Seinfeld. It happens to all of us. But I know if I were to vomit in public, I would not sit in it like this guy and delay a game for 15 minutes. It's tough. I hope he finds the Pedialyte and I hope he's okay. Because that's a tough situation. Have the entire internet laughing at you. But ultimately, got Luke Walton fired. Emblematic of how terrible that organization is, he has the second highest winning percentage for that team. I don't think it's his fault. Because Luke didn't draft Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic. He didn't make terrible moves in the front office with Vladi Divac. That's not his problem. They aren't a good team. And that's why even before the break, they were up by 15. If I'm looking at players who I want to build around, and Fox is not in the top 10. I don't believe in that guy. He is having a down year where he's shooting terribly from three. He's not able to push the pace as much as he can. Maybe that was a product of Luke not wanting to play as fast. But I haven't seen indicators to think that De'Aaron Fox is the lead guard that I can build around. You know who fits that bill? It's John Morant. Saw him Monday. He can do what De'Aaron Fox thinks he can. This is a stat. And this is something that you saw Monday. He leads the league in points in the paint. It would be the first time that it would ever happen for a guard. He challenges people at the rim. And he went right at Hassan Whiteside trying to end him, but he finished through contact. John Morant can make your big over help when he's driving to the rim and then kick out to a wide-open three-point shooter in Triple J, Jaron Jackson Jr. Does that sound any familiar? Josh Smart. He's one of the best isolation scorers. I was looking this up to see if that matched my eye test. And Jaws third at 1.35 points per possession when it comes to isolations. One on that list is Jokic at 155. Two's Steph. If you want to impress anybody, number five is Gary Trent Jr. Toronto, 1.32. Which last week, he's scoring 31 points. And I'm thinking, what is this? How does this even happen? But it was emblematic of something that has plagued the Jazz and goes to the bigger point of their perimeter defense. If they can't defend on the perimeter, 
they're going to have that postseason outing against the Clippers. And ultimately, they need to be able to salt away games because they were up six with less than 90 seconds to go against Memphis. Can't have that late turnover by Donovan before that free throw that has the inadvertent whistle. You can quibble about the refs all you want, but up six with 90 seconds left, you have to be able to salt the game away. And it's got to be a W. But on the perimeter, they were able to drive to the hoop and get those kickouts. Desmond Bain went for a career night. The only good matchup on the outside was Joe against Kyle Anderson because that might be the slowest matchup of two players in the entire league. But they had moments where they weren't focused, where they weren't switched on. Bain was hitting them with cuts and moves in the first quarter like he was Gary Trent. And I like Bain coming out of TCU. You knew he was going to be an NBA productive player, but career high, 28 points? That's not what you want to see. And they talked about it. They need to be better. Memphis wants to get out and run because they have jaw, and they didn't do well at transition defense. OKC Wednesday, though, highlighted more of that outside perimeter defense failings because the Jazz didn't have Hassan Whiteside. That's the thing about this defense is it is so incumbent on having a big cleanup after you. Whether it's Hassan, whether it was Derek Favors, they need someone back there to cover up if they get beat off the dribble. And it's why Rudy Gay and Eric Paschal are so important in giving the Jazz another option. Having something else to throw when Reggie Jackson and Terrence Mann are going crazy. Because you're asking Rudy to do so much. And it's why sometimes he has to overhelp. On that last play against Memphis, Jaws going straight to the rim, no abandon, he's doing the thing. Well, Rudy comes in, overhelps, and he leaves Jaron Jackson Jr. on the outside. He gets a kick out, he gets a wide open three. That happened in the Clippers series. Because Rudy was trying to cover so many Matador defenses that there were too many fires to put out. You're putting too much stress on him. And if the guy makes a shot, the guy makes a shot. But they're wide open shots. Rudy Gay and Eric Paschal enter stage left. And they weren't able to do it against OKC. They only got a couple stints. One in the second quarter, one in the third quarter. Rudy had to play a season high in minutes, 39. But if you're looking for anything this weekend against New Orleans, and ultimately the rest of the regular season, it's this experimentation. It's trying to see if you have this as an option. This option needs to get better. Their perimeter defense needs to get better because it can be their undoing in the playoffs as it has been previously against L.A. But they need to figure out this small ball like Kendall needs to figure out his life. They have the right moves. They have the dudes. It needs to develop this season. Because the regular season, it's not about seeding anymore. They already got the number one seed. That was last year. This year, it is about winning games in the playoffs and proving you can put yourself in a good situation to win those games. The smallest of sample size theater. Eric Paschal has played 12 possessions as a five so far this season. So he needs to play more. He needs to get more run and... It needs to get better because Giddy was getting straight line drives. Poku had a drive. If anything, to have another option in the postseason. It's not like you're going to win games with that 
as your starting lineup. It's can you lessen the burden on Rudy to eliminate all this stuff. But that was one game, and ultimately they were able to get the win on Wednesday. Shouldn't be that close, but that did highlight how important a big at the back end of the defense is important to this team. What are we talking about? We're going to continue to talk about it. The Bucks did this the year before, where they sometimes sacrifice some regular season results so that they could be better in the postseason. The Jazz can do the same. The Jazz can experiment a little bit more. There's already a top three pecking order with Phoenix and Golden State. Phoenix continues to win games. They're back for more. It wasn't a given, but they continue to do it. And Golden State is back, and they're doing it through defense. Last year, they were number five. Now, with a new defensive coordinator and Mike Brown, they're number one. Once they add Clay, they still have another move left out there with Kaminga and Moody as chips to trade. Warriors are scary. Warriors are definitely in that top three. And they might be the best team in the league right now. But ultimately, season's going to be played in the playoffs, and that's later and down the road. The Jazz don't need to be phenomenal right now, but they do need to get better. And they have chances throughout the regular season to do that. Podcast brought to you by Fanatics. For authentic Utah Jazz player gear, including jerseys, shorts, warm-ups, and more, visit fanatics.com slash jazzgameused. That's fanatics.com slash jazzgameused. You know the drill. Five stars, nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher. We're everywhere. Just search Round Ball Roundup. And like I said at the top of the show, find the note. And while you're looking for the note, find the RiffCast. Because it gives you and sets the table for every single game the Jazz are playing this year. Just five minutes. Take it out of your day. Check it out. RiffCast. Let's get to Eric Paschal. Interesting time to bring him on. Because he just had that discussion on small ball lineups. He could feature in those as an option later in the postseason. So I'm glad to get him on the program. And of course, if he can shoot, he's even more valuable. That needs to improve for him, but that's on the court. I want to hear a little bit about him off the court. He listens to a lot of Jay-Z. He's from New York, has those East Coast roots, decided to stay out there for college. So we get into that, a little bit on playing with a celebrity in basketball. So a little on court stuff, but mostly off the floor. Get to know Eric Paschal, who was a delight to talk to. Check it out. We started the convo talking about New York. Now let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out at First Colony Mortgage. I definitely was That's the goat right there. Okay. I'll definitely do that. Well, let's stick on this trend. Westchester to playing basketball in Harlem has been a part of your story. Yeah. What were those differences from starting out, obviously, in Westchester and then having to go to the city to play basketball? Uh, at that time, I, I really feel like Westchester basketball wasn't the greatest. So mm-hmm. it was about time. I was like eight. And it was about time like to toughen up and go down to Harlem. So playing against more of the Inner City kids and playing with them, it helped me a lot with my development and 
gave me a real world of like what basketball is because at Westchester I was just always the best like whatever team I was on. Right. So playing down in Harlem, playing for Riverside, um, it was a great experience for me. Uh, the head coach actually when I first started playing Riverside is Ty Jerome's dad. Okay. That plays for the Thunder. So yeah. me, him, Donovan were all on the same team uh, at like eight years old. How is that shaped being from New York your basketball persona because I see you right now you're way less you know wired than you are when you're on, on the court you, you, yeah. you become that underdog that yeah. guy who was slighted coming out of uh, the draft said you were too old coming out yeah. like how did Harlem help shape that um I think it just gave me a lot more confidence um knowing that I could play with at that age like the best and I feel like that helped me a lot with confidence getting better pushing myself it made me out of a got out of a comfort zone and that was the one the one big part for my growing up and experiences what was the recruiting process like for you everybody knows the national championship at Villanova but it started at Fordham and then transferring obviously over um how did recruiting go for you and, and what led you to your first decision um recruiting for me the first time was pretty like it was pretty easy I mean staying close to home Mm-hmm. Um, get to play and go to Fordham. So it's the back of my mind, I'm like, All right, I could go here, play. And that's I feel like that's a big thing. You got to have film. And then the second time when I transferred, that's when it was wild. Like coaches, I remember I put, put out was transferring and I'm getting coaches from North Carolina to Kansas to Baylor to – you named Florida, but Billy Donovan was still at Florida. Florida was crewing me, Providence, UConn. I had so many schools, but I ended up just choosing Villanova. Felt best. Um, obviously, Tom Picora was a coach under Coach Wright uh, at Hofstra, so they already had that connection. So I was pretty happy with it. What was the step up? I mean, obviously, A-10's a fine conference with Fordham, but – you're going to the Big East. You're going to a team that has expectations. I don't know if you were on that team or, or sitting out that year that they won the national championship yeah, in Houston. You were mm-hmm. in Houston. Yeah, I was there. I was there to see the Chris Jenkins shot. Yeah. Wildest thing I've ever seen Crazy. when, it, when Crazy. it comes to basketball. I remember running on the court because like, like, I was courtside. So I remember okay. running on the court, yeah. I remember the Marcus Page shot, yeah. and everybody is in the crowd is throwing their seat covers into the air, and it's pandemonium. Yeah. And that that shot, which was awesome, completely erased from so many memories. Erased. It's like the most forgotten shot, and it's just because Chris hit the Yeah. Thing. But like that shot was probably crazier than Chris. What was that, watching that shot, like for you? Chris's shot or Marcus Page's shot? Chris, Chris's. Ah, uh, wild because I was on the edge of my seat and right. like I was sitting next to Jamon Pinkston, who also went to Villanova mm-hmm. from New York, and we were just sitting there and then uh, we were just on the edge of our seat, like yo, what's gonna happen? So then the shot goes in. We both just I hop over the banner, like the banister. I just I run on the court. Yep, it was fun. It was a fun time. Oh, that was an amazing team yeah. with Archie Diacono and, yeah. and and that crew. How did you? fit your way into a squad that obviously already had success and now you're trying to come in and add to it? Um, Just ask Coach Wright what he wanted me to do. <laughs> like, just pretty much really well it was. We had a pretty transparent relationship, a lot of arguments, but uh, ended up working out for the best. So every year he just uh, told me and then 
I take, took on the role. What's an argument with GQ, Jay Wright, like? Not the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> Not the greatest. Me, Coach Wright, love him to death. Right. Uh, he's helped me through a lot. And um, we definitely had our battles. It happens. We it had happens. Our battles. He's taken me out of the game and I'm cursing him out. He's cursing me out and then just throws me right back in the game. Right. <laughs> I remember exactly what game, too. It was Providence at home my senior year. Uh, somebody blew past me and like laid it up and like this is my last year and he just snatches me like get off the game get off the game and so I, I, I started to curse him out I'm like yo what, what is going on here and then I'm at the end of the bench just pissed and he's like where's Eric and I'm at the end of the bench like because <laughs> yeah. I never sit at the end of the bench I was you're like, fuming I'm fuming at this point yeah. fuming but yeah I had like five points at the half and then uh, second half I didn't like Express not one emotion. I, I went off for like 20 in the mm-hmm. second half. So I ended up with like 25. And Coach Wright, like, like this is how me and Coach Wright relationship is. is he's just like, maybe I should just bench you some more. <laughs> so I'm, I'm actually still pissed at him. Like, yeah. I'm mad. I'm like, yo, you just yeah. took me out for no reason. Yep. Like, why'd you do that? But that's what that's what he did. But, man, that was probably our, that was probably like our last argument, though. We didn't really okay. argue during that year. Good, good. But those those are the moments that make you – a better player, yeah, make yeah. you the player that you are now. Uh, how was that process going from college to your draft workouts and setting yourself up for the NBA? Um, it wasn't that bad. I, I, I kind of like the pre-draft workouts. Mm-hmm. Like It's just you go in there, compete. Again, me, just going in trying to be shown that I'm, I belong in the NBA. And, um, I like it. I liked it a lot. I like the pre-draft just because uh, I like to compete. So it was very fun for me. Very fun. It was tiring though. I was tired. <laughs> Did you work out here? Yes. For the Jazz? How yeah. was that? It was good. I had a great workout here. I had a real good workout. Did you ever imagine one day being able to to be because at that point Donovan's already on the team, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um you I'm sure you've already heard about the organization. Did you ever imagine that it would land you here? No. <laughs> but uh it was funny cuz Quinn uh coach Quinn was like I remember watching you doing your work draft pre-draft work. And I was like, I really like the kid. And now I'm coaching you, so now I'm happy. <laughs> so it was it was pretty cool just to come back here and because uh, I built a relationship. Obviously, I built a relationship with them before, uh, especially and with uh, Sean James because he's from New York. So mm-hmm. know know him and we kept the kept in contact. So even after like the draft and all that. How do you look back on that player that came in for draft workouts to where you are? Right now, year three of your career. Uh, kind of the same. I mean, just still trying to, still trying to find my way. Still trying to solidify myself in the NBA. How do you go about accepting a role? Because on the Warriors, you're playing next to a superstar in in Steph Curry. Um, I don't imagine you think you're going to be the the marquee name there. But accepting a role and figuring your own path to staying on the floor and contributing for a team um again i me i i feel like villanova's prepared me a lot for any of that just because um i did everything my rookie my i said my rookie my freshman year wasn't really the guy i mean i was the guy for them transfer shout out then wasn't really the guy i was like it's probably like seven points it's next year average 10 won a national championship and then my senior year, I averaged like 17. So it was like I've been in every role to be like to prepare myself mentally for to be in any type of role. How are you feeling about how things are going so far this year? 
Uh, I'm pretty happy. I'm, I'm again. I'm just out there giving my all, giving all my energy, and uh, again, just bring that toughness to the game. What were those? Because I I have to end it on this because we we started the convo uh, before we jumped into this. Those runs with Jay Cole, like because not many people have the opportunity to play with a a Grammy award winning artist. Yeah. Uh, what were those runs like? How, how'd that come together? Uh, it was fun. Uh, Chris Brickley uh, holds runs every summer, and uh, I walk in, I see Jay Cole, and Jay Cole's one of my favorite artists. So yes. it's like it's kind of like. Whoa! What is what is going on here? So then, um, he were playing, and he's just real cool, laid back guy. Loves hoops and played with us. It was fun. What's his scout? Uh, he definitely gonna shoot a two dribble pull up. He okay. he, he liked the mid range, so he gonna shoot a two dribble pull up. Did you ever ever uh, go up uh, against him? How tall is he? Is he's he like six three? Okay, yeah, so you would be a little a little taller than yeah, him in that yeah, matchup. Did yeah. you ever end up uh, uh, switched out on him? Yeah, I think I've a, there's a picture on my phone of me like contesting his jumper, I think, and mm. there's a picture of me like driving at him. So, yeah. Did you score on him? Did he score on you? I don't think he scored on me. I'm pretty sure I scored. On him. I don't remember. There you go. Are you as competitive in those runs as you are? Yeah. 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 You're shouting Bing Bong and those yeah. type of things. Yeah. Shouting Bing Bong, and all that, <laughs> screaming at the refs. <laughs> Same thing. Doesn't matter. He's screaming at the refs. It is Westchester's own Eric Pascal on UtahJazz.com. Eric, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you. Appreciate it.